Good morning, Twitter. I'm Saeed Jones. He is David Mack. It's Monday, children. You're watching AM to DM. And you're back. I'm back. How does it feel? <laughs> you were away on vacation, chilling oh, by a oh, pool for a week. Right? Okay, all right. right. Fake news. Okay. Well, uh, fake news. I was on a seven-day road trip, mm -hmm. uh, the first of four I'll be doing with Isaac uh, for a road trip series we're calling Making the Most of. We did the Pacific Northwest. We flew to San Francisco yeah. uh, and then drove to Ashland, Oregon, then Portland, Oregon, and then Seattle. Very big little eyes. I love it. <laughs> well, beautiful. I mean, you know, yeah. uh, it's beautiful up there. Also on fire. The wildfires are a little. But you were trapped in a car for a week with four guys. Here's the thing. I was trapped in a car with three other guys, two producers and Isaac, but also they were trapped in a car with me. <laughs> and I've told people, Isaac knows, I'm just like, I don't know if this is a good idea. But you know, Isaac and I are best friends. And yeah. I would say after proving that we can host a live morning show, yeah. why not keep pushing it and, yeah, and try to not? go on the road together. I'm very sorry for the two producers that are stuck with you. <laughs> they're fine, they're fine. They I saw fine. one of them this morning. They're you had right, a great time. Right. Yeah, but how was, I did have a good time. Yeah. Um, how was hosting while I was gone? It was good. I did four days last Is week. Is that the most you've done? In a row. Mm -hmm. uh, it Yeah, so I learned a lot about sleeping pills, which were important <laughs> for me. That's I not a joke. one night of sleep. Like, yeah. I just oh, couldn't no. sleep, yeah. and it fudged me over really? for, like, days. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I had trouble sleeping last night. It's a it's a rhythm you really have to get into. I appreciate you coming oh, for us. Pleasure. I'm glad you're so rested. <laughs> Welcome back. Oh, you can wonder why Australians have their reputation. Anyway, the first episode of Making the Most of San Francisco will debut right here on AM to DM in September. I am excited for y'all to see I am it. excited. It's going to be good. Uh, getting to the big news yes. of the weekend. Among the remembrances of Senator John McCain, you've probably seen at least a few tweets like this one from Stephen King. John McCain's finest moment, for me, came in 2008, when a woman at a rally referred to Obama as an Arab. No man, McCain replied. He's a decent family man, a citizen that I just happen to have disagreements with. That's manning up. Okay, so... It's interesting, right? Ten years later, um, it feels like with yeah. maybe it's just the curse of Trump, but to say we're like in this weird yeah. time loop where we're constantly re-interrogating these moments. But uh, it's been interesting to see that this is the moment in terms of clips yeah. that people keep going back to to discuss McCain. That's right. I mean, there's obviously that like thumbs down moment where he voted mm -hmm. down the healthcare mm -hmm. this year as well. Seeing that a bit, but this is certainly kind of a moment that people are returning to. Right. As you, I've said. certainly seen this town hall yeah. more than I've it's seen on viral again. Uh, and as I said, it's been ten years. Or over 10 years, mm -hmm, I think, since mm -hmm. that, ten, no, 10 years since that happened. Mm -hmm. uh, and at the time, obviously, this Bertha nonsense was just beginning. Right. Uh, and Oof. this was McCain kind of uh, standing up to that, I think realizing the ugliness that was fueling mm -hmm. some people to oppose Obama at that stage. Um, and obviously, it didn't go away. Right. Um, and it's something that the GOP has had to grapple with in the years since as well. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, understandably, people are looking at this 10 years later and thinking, you know, trying to reevaluate. Mm -hmm. The moment. Yeah, and I, I don't wonder too um, if it's part of this is, I think, um, a nostalgia for a certain idea about decency. Yeah. Political decency, diplomacy that many people, perhaps rightfully as filled, has gone away that may even not even have so much to do with McCain right. himself. Because the moment's complicated. Right. So let's take a look at that town hall. I got to ask you a question. I do not uh, believe in, I can't trust Obama. I, I, I have read about him, and he's not, he's not, he's a, um, he's an Arab. He is not. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. No, 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 he's a, he's a, he's a decent family man, citizen that I just happen to have disagreements with on on fundamental issues, and that's what this campaign is all about. He's not. Thank you. 
Well, our next guest, Jonathan M. Katz, tweeted a thread about this moment. That time when McCain confronted the woman who said she couldn't trust Obama because he's, quote, an Arab may be the most tellingly fucked up moment in American politics in the last 20 years. Journalist and author Jonathan M. Capps, who actually uh, interviewed uh, McCain several times himself, joins us now to explain why. Jonathan, good morning. Good morning, how are you? All right, so to start, why do you think so many people have seized upon this moment, this clip, as presumably a glowing memory of the senator? Man, um, well, I guess part of it is, you know, looking back from the age of Trump, uh, in a certain way of framing that moment, it was a moment where a Republican presidential candidate, in a way, was standing up to uh, a certain kind of racism, a certain kind of, of nativism that helped lead to Trump. Um, although, of course, there are other ways of, of looking at that moment as well. And I think the fact that people can argue about it might be why people are talking about it, too. Amen. And why do you specifically, as your tweet said there, think that this is such a, a kind of, in retrospect, a kind of fucked up moment, to use your words? Well, the crazy thing about it was, so one thing that a number of people have noted, of course, is that the, the woman in Minnesota um, started off by saying that, uh, well, the, the, the big line that, that gets remembered is that she said that Obama was an Arab. Um, she's obviously screwing up her own racist conspiracy theory, like she's conflating <laughs> being an Arab with being a Muslim. Um, but regardless, uh, and then McCain responds to her saying that he's an Arab by saying no, He's a decent family man. Um, and in one way of looking at it, and I mean, I think this is valid, um, he's saying the opposite of being an Arab is being a decent family man, which is, of course, racist. I mean, that's a terrible thing to say. Um, I thought that, that going back and, and looking at it more carefully, if you really look at, at what the woman says, um, you know, she's speaking like most people do in, in, in most circumstances. She's being very disjointed, she's using implication, she's not really completing her sentence. Um, and she's just saying, you know, that, that he's not, he's, he's not this, he's not something. And then one of the things that she blurts out is that, you know, he's an Arab. And I think that McCain, as a human being in this conversation, is sort of hearing her implication um, that he's some kind of enemy, that he's not one of us, He's not an American, and he's kind of responding to that. Um, but of course, in, in retrospect, it, it certainly would have been much better if he had countered the entire idea and said, you know, and even if he was Muslim, like, so what? Right. Um, Jonathan, something that David and I have been talking about this morning is um, not just, you know, the challenges in, in uh, succinctly describing uh, McCain's legacy, but it seems like talking about his legacy at all, one way or another, sets people up for a whole lot of chaos in their mentions. So uh, what has the experience yes. been like since you tweeted this thread for you? Um, I was actually just sort of surprised at how how much the, the thread that I tweeted took off. Um, I just, I was, I didn't have any, I, I've, I'd met John McCain a number of times over the years. Um, I, I interviewed him, I covered him, and I've, I've covered a lot of foreign policy. Um, and uh, so I have, I have lots of thoughts about McCain. I, I don't have any like particular purchase on like, you know, John McCain, the man. So I was somewhat surprised that it took off the way it did. But I think what it really speaks to is, you know, when someone has that much power and it, it plays that much of a major role in, in American life for as, as long a period as he did, um, there's a lot to chew on and there's a lot that people can argue about. And I think that in a lot of ways, people are trying to understand who we are as a nation. 
mm-hmm. um, at an extremely screwed up moment. Um, and, uh, and one of the ways to do that is, is to debate the legacy of a guy like that who, right. you know, headed the International Republican Institute and, and oversaw coups in other parts of the world, but also was a war hero and spoke both for and against torture. And, and I think that arguing about who he is is a way of arguing about who we are. I'm interested in your take on this because I, when I watch that clip, uh, am struck by the very kind of uh, the seeds with which a lot of the right, some parts of the right are grappling with today in terms of some conspiracy theory mm-hmm. stuff, so a lot of racist bigotry that is going on. And you look at this clip and it was the beginning, right, of, of this kind of birther stuff that was just starting to permeate politics. Sitting back where we are now 10 years later, what, what else can you see in that moment? I mean, you're really seeing kind of Dr. Frankenstein, or at least one of Dr. Frankenstein's associates, um, realizing that the monster has has awoken. Uh, you know, I mean, if you look back, that that was not the only confrontation that McCain had in that room in Minnesota that day. Um, it seemed very clear that he was trying to. You you can see a man, a Republican presidential candidate, who's confronting the fact that he's in an arena full of people who are not there because they love his war service. They're not there because they think that he's got great policy ideas that that they want to get behind. I'm sure some people were, but that he's in a room full of people who keep standing up and just saying incredibly racist, insane things um, about his opponent. And McCain doesn't, you can see that what's going on is McCain doesn't want to be the guy that they're voting for because they're racist. He's like, mm-hmm. don't, he's, he's basically saying, don't vote for me because you think that my opponent is this irredeemable other. He's a black man, um, which is true, but that, or that he's a Muslim, which is not true or whatever. Vote for me because you like me. And he can't, he can't get a hold of this audience. And clearly what has happened since then is that, first of all, he lost and his his uh, successor as nominee lost in 2012. And the guy who actually ends up winning is the guy who embraces the monster, who says, hell yeah, vote for me because you're racist. Hell yeah, vote for me because you've got these like nativist mm-hmm. views. Um, and, and, and that for me is why this is such a telling moment is because, you know, the Republican Party over the last couple of decades um, really set themselves up for this. And they were they were pushing these racist conspiracy theories. They, they were using the Southern strategy all the way back to, to Nixon in 1968. Um, and they were cultivating this racist wing, thinking that they could keep control of it and that that would give them power. And what you really see in that moment back in 2008 is the moment when uh, this force that they've unleashed is starting to overtake them. And then by 2016, uh, you know, the monster's running the lap. Hmm. Well, thank you, Jonathan, for joining us and putting that into perspective uh, so well for us. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Uh, here's, uh, we've been so a lot of tweets already about John McCain. This is what Ashley T. Ford had yeah. to say about that moment. Can I be honest? I didn't remember the words that McCain said at the town hall, just the fact that he did not let the lie stand. Now I read the words of yeah. the quote and think, what the hell? Where yeah. was my mind? The fact was, our mind was 10 years ago. Yeah, I mean, this is what we're talking about, right? That yeah. at, the mo- at the time that happened, it was just, the, as Jonathan was just saying, it was kind of the beginnings of this monster. Mm-hmm. And to see John McCain even just denounce that from, well, in a way that was kind of acknowledging the falsehood and saying, I don't want to be associated with mm-hmm. that, was powerful enough at the time. Obviously, right. in hindsight, we look back and we can scrutinize the, the language that he used mm-hmm. and people can say that they wish he did more. 
but I mean, this is the part of this conversation, right? We're having since since his death is that this is a complicated man. Uh, he was undeniably a, a hero for what he endured in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Unimaginable torture. Uh, went on to serve his country in Congress. Uh, there were people who felt like he didn't represent them. There were people who felt like he did represent mm -hmm. them. Uh, and I feel like Twitter as a whole has been having a very interesting conversation the last few days mm -hmm. about how to talk about someone uh, so impactful when they die, right? Right. And, and listen, McCain was no stranger to debate himself, so also yeah. I think it's a little weird. But yeah. all I can say is, um, first of all, shout out to MLK Day. But also, uh, you know, I, I think we have to read the room just as if we look at that clip. It's less about McCain and rather the space he was in and looking yeah. at everything. All I can do now is like read the room that we're in now and mm. think what are we going to be talking about a decade That's from now. Well so to that point, we're going to keep talking with uh, BuzzFeed News White House, Report, uh, White House correspondent Tarini Party later this morning about what McCain's passing means for the White House, for the U.S. flag, and the rest of Washington, D.C. But we do want to hear more of your thoughts on McCain's life and legacy and how um, it's been covered by the media so far. Let us know your thoughts using the hashtag am to dm But I want to look at this old tweet now from BuzzFeed News LA Bureau Chief John Passantino. Florida Governor Rick Scott after the Orlando massacre. We'll do everything in our power to make sure this never happens again. Florida Governor Rick Scott just now after the Parkland school massacre. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure this never happens again. And yesterday John tweeted, it happened again. Thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. Well, two more people were killed, were murdered yesterday, and 11 others were injured at a Madden NFL tournament in Jacksonville, Florida. Police say the suspect, a white male gamer at the tournament, killed himself at the scene. We're joined now by the head of breaking news for BuzzFeed, Tom Namako. Tom, good morning. Good morning. Tom, you oversaw our coverage of this tragedy yesterday. What do we know about what happened? So this was at, as you just said, it was a, a competition for people who are uh, who who play Madden, uh, the NFL video game. This is a wildly, wildly popular game. It's in its 19th iteration. Um, so during the competition, which was a qualifier to see who would go on to a larger competition in Las Vegas later on this year, uh, during this, uh, it was being streamed on Twitch, which is the streaming service. And for anyone who was watching at this moment, uh, there were two players. Uh, you would have seen a screen with a video game being played against two teams who were playing as the Atlanta Falcons. There was an inset where you saw the two players who were kind of like, you know, really into the game and, you know, were at their controllers and stuff. Um, and then all of a sudden, in, right in the middle of this game, you started hearing the very, very distinct sound of gunshots. They were very clearly the pops of gunshots. Suddenly, um, the, uh, the screen goes, goes gray, but the audio remains on. And from there, it's just a truly, truly harrowing thing to listen to. Um, where you hear 12 gunshots in this in this clip alone, which is being shared on Twitter. You hear people screaming. You hear people saying, where is he? Oh, my God. Uh, wondering what they got hit with. You hear clanging. You hear just the absolute chaos that happens after an incident like this. And then the clip eventually, uh, eventually goes away. Um, in all, as you said, two people died, and uh, the shooter uh, killed himself. Horrifying, even in the context of what we've gotten used to in terms of mass shootings in our country lately. Um, Tom, what can you tell us about the two people who were killed? So one of the two people who was killed is uh, Elijah Clayton. He's a 21-year-old gamer. He's known as True Boy or just very simply True. Um, one of the truly, again, harrowing things that the video show this is that while True was playing the game, 
in the seconds before the video cut out, a red dot appeared on his chest, but appeared to be a laser dot that some people think might have been uh, targeting him specifically. Uh, so he did die. Um, he was a high He was uh, from Los Angeles. Um, his high school put out uh, a nice remembrance of him, calling him a dedicated student, a great teammate. He was on the football squad. Um, and one of the truly interesting things um, about this is that this is a very tight-knit gaming community. Um, a lot are, and specifically the Madden uh, gaming community is. And a lot of the people who played with True uh, were coming out with remembrances of him. And it really gives you the sense that, you know, and one of them straight up said this, that he kind of grew up in this community. People saw him, uh, you know, grow up and become, you know, a, a new and like different person and, you know, just kind of go along in life. Right. So, you know, a lot of those remembrances were pouring out. The second uh, victim, whose name we haven't confirmed yet, um, but it seems very, very it seems pretty, pretty close to this point that it's a West Virginia person, uh, West Virginia man uh, who had uh, a child and was about 27 years old. But we're still firming up details on that. Uh, Tom, I need to ask, we heard from those tweets of John Passantino at the top about this happening again in Florida. Remind us, uh, since Parkland in February, what, what has changed in Florida in terms of gun control? So after Parkland, after the, and, and the momentum for this was, you had in 2016, you had the Pulse nightclub shooting, uh, which killed 49. And then this year you had the Parkland shooting, obviously. And then after that, there was, as the nation now knows, that groundswell of, of support locally, um, it seems like, from the that was spearheaded by the Parkland students to address uh, the gun issue in some way legislatively. What happened was the governor signed uh, a bill uh, into law, which was truly remarkable because Florida is, was known as a state that was very, very uh, pro-gun rights. They did a couple things. Um, it raised uh, the minimum age for purchasing a weapon from 18 to 21. It created a waiting period so prospective gun owners would have to wait three days or until a background check was completed. Um, it banned bump stocks, which is a device that essentially lets um, uh, semi-automatic weapons fire at a much, much faster pace, a much, much faster clip. And it armed school employees. It provided uh, funds for mental health services. It provided funds for school safety and security. And then the NRA, as soon as this bill was signed, hours later, the NRA filed a lawsuit uh, contesting this bill. All right. Well, um, as always, Tom, thank you for joining us and bringing us the latest on this. Thank you. All right, friends. Uh, here's a tweet from University of Minnesota student Madison Hart. Is it just me or did I just pull off the greatest Twitter scheme of all time? Read the first word of my tweets to find out. Now, I wish we could just spend the I rest really would, yeah. of today's I shows. It I would be it. lovely to read out Madison's <laughs> tweets. But if you take a look at her timeline now, you'll see she has spent the past four months, four months sneaking in the lyrics <laughs> to Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. I, I'm lost for words. It's incredible. Uh, Madison joins us now. Madison, good morning. Good morning. Hi there. Okay, so listen, uh, I'm not good at planning just from one day to the next, and here you are planning out, you know, four months ahead. How did you commit to this project for four months? Um, it was something I started in May during finals week, and then once I started, I was like, well, I have to go through with it now because I can't just have half the lyrics on my Twitter and then have, I didn't want anyone to see it half completed, so I was like, all right, I'm going through with it. So it was really hard because I really wanted to tell everyone and it was really hard to keep it a secret. And sometimes I thought it was going to take me forever. But finally, after four months, it happened. So this was a complete secret from everyone that you knew you were doing this in private. 
Yes, I I told my best Twitter friend Liz, and then I told one of my friends who doesn't have a Twitter, but otherwise no one knew about it. Okay, how did you come up with this idea? Yeah. Why Bohemian Rhapsody? Well, uh, a couple years ago, I'd seen someone do it with Smash Mouth All-Star, and I thought it was super funny, and I was like, oh my gosh, that'd be hilarious to do. I want to do that, but um, I was never, like, wanting to commit to it, because I was like, no, I never could pull it off. And then... Um, I started thinking like maybe I should do it, but since you know people have done it before, I was like it's not impressive if I don't do like a really difficult song. So I thought of the most complicated long song I could think of, which is one of my favorites, Bohemian Rhapsody. So that's the one I chose. Okay, I, I have to ask very selfishly, like what are you studying? What is your <laughs> skill set? I just I want to give you the reins. I feel like you could be the CEO <laughs> of, of BuzzFeed News. Like yeah. come, come, child. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm studying kinesiology and leadership at the U of M, so I uh, focus more on the leadership part, but yeah. All right. Okay, you have been retweeted now. I think that that re big reveal tweet, the reveal tweet mm -hmm. is like 235,000 times now or something. Uh, I imagine your phone has just stopped working at this point. <laughs> yeah, I had to stop going on Twitter because it just wouldn't refresh the app, which is <laughs> shut down. <laughs> it's, it's out of control. That's funny. Uh, well, just I'm sure you've gotten a lot of responses and reactions. Anything especially funny or unexpected since uh, you revealed yourself? Um, I just am blown away by how big it's gotten. I was expecting maybe like 3,000 retweets, and we've gone far beyond that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a couple people have proposed marriage to me, which is a little odd. Oh. Um, <laughs> I don't know oh. how to respond to that, but yeah. <laughs> Okay. Uh, I guess take it in your, oh. I, congr I mean, congrats, you've literally won Twitter, so you congrats, did. your trophy's <laughs> in the mail. <laughs> Perfect. Thank right. you so much for joining us this morning. Yes, thank you. <laughs> well, stay tuned, everyone, because we can't possibly top that, but I'm going to be talking to comedian Rob Riggle later in the show, but up next, it's Fire Tweets. Fuego Tweets. Fuego. Welcome back. Okay, we have a tweet here from Tanya Melendez. I'm back from the road. She says, but where is Isaac? What did you do with him, Saeed? What did you do? You guys did it last. Uh, I'm sorry, the old Isaac can't come to the phone right now. He's, he's on vacation. He's, he needed a break. Like, it's quiet tweets. Let's go. Here we go. Hallie Keeper. All right, I'm going to admit it. I don't get that little knob that people are poking on the back of their cell phones. I've asked people about it and they say it's to hold it. And I say, what? And then they just sort of hold it at me and that's as far as I've gotten. Yeah. Hard agree. Hard, Hard agree. agree. I tried one of those. Yeah. For, and I made it like four days. It's I can't do it. I couldn't set it. It just, I was like it was, I wasn't, out of my hands. Yeah. I have not, I have a lot of problems with my phone. Yeah. Holding it that way is not the problem. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, let's get to this next one. Octopus Caveman. My five-year-old son just asked, what if we put a slice of turkey in the DVD player and it played a movie about the turkey's whole life? And none of the parenting books I've read have prepared me for this question. <laughs> I'm impressed this man's child knows what a DVD is. Uh, all right, that's, that's like that's ancient technology the... at this point. Here we go. Great, great, great party. Bruce Wayne didn't become Batman until he was 30. It doesn't matter how old you are there's still time for a full-blown dramatic goth phase. <laughs> if you are a billionaire. That's why I'm wearing black today. Just Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. You got some money? It's my, well, I'd like to. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like <Okay>. to. <laughs> this comes from Nuke Punkard? Punkard? 
Pancard.、Um, movies have taught me that if I call someone on the phone and someone else answers and says he's tied up at the moment, there's a 100% chance he's literally tied up with ropes. That's true. That That's literally true. where Isaac、That's、is right now. <laughs> There we go.、He's、Here we go. Tweet of the day. You ready? Uh huh. Tweet of the day from Rachel. Scream would never happen these days because we're all too anxious to answer the phone. Oh yeah, it would have to be. Oh god, if Scream was made today, it would be like people in your mentions. Right. And remember, like we were in there producing, getting ready for this, and someone's phone rang, and we all just kind of stared、oh, at it. Oh right. One we of like, our what, producers. What do you do?、Uh, a sixty-five-year-old man by the name of Patrick McMinniman. <laughs> Has a normal ringtone on his phone. It was very disconcerting. He just screamed in the room. I heard it.、Sorry. I heard it. Sorry, Grandpa. Yeah, I just heard his AARP show up. Anyway, <laughs> up next, we are going live from the district.、Uh, Trump is awake. <laughs> Welcome back. We are going live from the district with BuzzFeed News White House correspondent Tarini Party. Tarini, it's been so long. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome back. Thank、uh, you. What happened while I was gone? What, what have you redecorated? What's、oh、going on? Goodness. <laughs> Yes, this is our very mid-century modern set, and I get to sit down now. I love、uh, it. HGTV <laughs> is shook, honey. Know, you look、That's、like cute. You look like you've just been to West Elm and like gone all out. What's up?、Uh, you didn't do this though, right? This is the crew went down and did this. That's definitely right. I didn't help at all, so this I'm not going to take any credit for this. Okay,、right. good. Well, it looks great. You look great. Happy love Monday. Let's love do it. Love the yellow. Love the yellow chairs. Well, here's、Thank、a tweet、uh, from the Daily Beast. Arizona Governor Doug Ducey announced he will wait until after McCain is laid to rest to appoint a replacement to fill his Senate seat. Now is a time for remembering and honoring a consequential life well lived. I think a consequential life well lived is the best description of McCain. Yeah.、Uh, Tarini, what is The process now for Governor Ducey to appoint a new senator. So Governor、uh, Ducey gets to appoint another Republican senator who will serve a two-year term. So the, that person will then run for re-election in 2020 for a full six-year term.、Uh, what, what are the political considerations at play here? Because Jeff Flake's seat is also up in November,、oh, wow. isn't it? That's exactly right. So the political considerations for Ducey are twofold. One,、uh, you know, whether he should、uh, appoint someone more known as sort of a caretaker, someone who will serve for two years、um, and then you know won't run for re-election, or someone who's actually interested in serving that full six-year term. The other political consideration, like anything these days, especially with the Republican Party, is that do they do, does he want to appoint someone sort of more in the mold of McCain, the maverick, independent-style Republican, or someone like Donald Trump? Okay, it'll be very interesting to see how that develops.、Um, we also wanted to ask, of course, the funeral services that are planned for McCain. Can you tell us about those? So there are going to be several services. There's one in Arizona. There's one in D.C. There's also one in Annapolis. So we'll be seeing a lot in this next week.、Um, you know, a lot of remembrances of obviously John McCain, but obviously there's also this、uh, Tuesday primary, as、um, David mentioned earlier, for Jeff Flake's seat. So amid all these services, there's also a lot of politics happening、uh, this week.、Hmm. Yeah. What What are those? What's the likelihood that、uh, Cindy McCain could be chosen to fill in、uh, that McCain's widow to to take? Take his seat. 
She's been talked about as one of the candidates that the governor is considering. She's been doing, she's been filling in for her husband a lot at sort of public events in, in Arizona and other places while he's been sick. So there's still some consideration that uh, that she could take her husband's um, seat. But, um, you know, that has not, the governor hasn't made any decision on that. And there's several other people that are still on this list. The governor's also up for re-election in November, isn't he? So he has his own political considerations to consider about who he's going it's to. It's a mess, is he's what going, we're trying to say. He's going to disappoint. It is. And, and that's... And that's where that sort of caretaker thinking comes in. If the governor decides he might want to run for this seat in 2020, he could appoint someone to this two-year term who would serve in sort of more of that caretaker role, and then he could run in 2020. Okay, well, here's a tweet I want to get to from CBS News' Mark Nola. Flag back at full staff atop the White House. President Trump did not issue a proclamation on the death of Senator John McCain, which usually calls for flags to remain at half-staff through the day of interment, which is Sunday at the Naval Academy. Torini, correct me if I'm wrong, but shouldn't this be the easiest thing for a White House to do properly? Yes, this should, in theory, be very easy. But as we know, the White House and this president like to complicate things. And this is just a clear example of that. You know, the, the images that we're seeing this morning of the, the flag back at a full staff um, at the White House, and then in the surrounding areas, you see the monuments and sort of those aerial shots where the flag is still at, at half-mast. Okay. I'm not going to ask you to read the president's mind, Tariq. <laughs> But I am going to ask you, strategically speaking, what would the Trump administration gain from, you know, I mean, the, the nixing the statement, the back and forth with the flag, what could they gain from this in terms of their own base? So I, I'm not even sure it's as much of a political calculation that the president is making. I think for him, this is about himself. This is sort of a petty issue right now because he he thinks of John McCain as someone who um, got in the way of Obamacare repeal of any sort of health care reform that the Republicans were trying to pass. He sees some, he sees him still as someone who criticized his administration repeatedly. Someone he still mentions actually in rallies as someone who gave the the thumbs downside. Um, so this is this is turning out to be sort of a petty situation that's playing out where the president still can't call John McCain a hero and, uh, you know, have the White House put out a statement that says that. And now we're obviously seeing that play out with the with the flag as well. And just before we move on, I want to note that uh, two former political enemies of John McCain, George W. Bush and Barack Obama, both men who beat him uh, in his bids for the White House, mm -hmm. McCain asked them to Speaking read the, uh, yeah. eulogies at his mm -hmm. funeral. So this is not a, a, there's certainly divides and they're certainly able to be overcome, but apparently not for the current president. No. Anyway, Saeed. <laughs> Sometimes petty is just petty. Good to know. Anyway, well, Tarini, here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News reporter Ruby Kramer. It's official. Democrats have voted to strip superdelegates of power. Now, we're going to get through this quickly because he's having uh, 2016 PST. Shake it. We're okay. We're okay. Uh, Tarini, remind us what are superdelegates and what does this mean? Because this feels like a, a throwback to Bernie versus Hillary. Yeah. 
That's exactly right. So uh, super delegates are, delegates are elected Democratic officials, members of the Democratic National Committee. Uh, these are officials that, um, you know, played this very divisive role in 2016, as you mentioned. Um, the Bernie Sanders wing of the party thought they played an outsized role in electing who would be the, nom the, the Democratic Party's presidential nominee. They're very against these superdelegates. So now that you see two years later, they've been successful in stripping them of their power, um, which could go and play a big role in ahead of 2020. Yeah, I mean, they're not gone completely, though, mm. correct, are they? They're, they're still there in a, as a fail-safe, is that right? I think for contested conventions? Exactly. So they, they would play a role in case there's a contested uh, convention, in, t in case uh, the, the process for electing the nominee goes to a second ballot. So that is a you know, very rare situation, but in terms of the first round of ballots, they would not play that same role that they did in 2016. Okay, well, thank you, Tarini. We love the new set. We love you, and thank you very much. Good luck for the week ahead. It's going to be a mess. Thanks, guys. Well, up next, I'm sitting down with Rob Riggle and Saeed will be thirsting over Peter Kavinsky. A young man! Stay tuned. <laughs> well, I'm joined now by actor and comedian Rob Riggle. He was a Daily Show correspondent. He started in The Hangover, 21 Jump Street, Step Brothers, and his new show is Rob Riggle's Ski Master Academy. Yes. What a title. I'm telling you. Welcome. You were just loving our theme music, which I, I was. Love. It had a little... And I was admiring your beard as well, which is apparently for a pilot that you're keeping, which I like. I we're both bearded yep. today. I'm, we're it's so rare that I get to do stuff like that. You feel very actory when they go, can you gain 20 <laughs> pounds for the role? Can you grow a beard? Can you do this? Or That's whatever. the dream, to be yeah. able to eat for a role. Yeah, stuff. oh, I believe me. Okay. I've never, they haven't asked me to do that. I just do it on my own. Me too. Me too. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Now we have to say, in this show, you play a kind of twisted version of yourself. Thank who, you. Well, uh, yeah, twist it's more true. twisted than usual. It's a heightened, crazy version. Heightened, of crazy me. version of yourself. Yeah. You're a, a famous action movie star known for jet ski stunts. Yes. I like to think that I'm a pretty creative person. How the hell did you come up with this idea, though? <laughs> it started as a joke. Okay. Yeah, because out in Hollywood, everybody's always in your business. You know, what are you, what are you doing? What are you working on? Yeah. What are you working on? And I got tired of giving my resume to everybody I met. <laughs> So I just finally said, I think I'm opening a jet ski academy. Right, that makes sense. And and then I would walk away. Is, is and then I started thinking about it. that could actually be a really funny world. And so I created a show called uh, Robert Gold's. It was originally called Robert Gold's Jet Ski Academy, but the people at Kawasaki wouldn't let us use the name Jet Ski, so we changed it to Ski Master. And ski Master Academy came up with this whole other backstory to I it. Didn't it actually, worked, it worked really well for us. I didn't know that was trademarked. I have to ask: Is there something inherently comical about a jet ski as opposed yes. to other marine craft? I, what, I, I what is don't it? know why. I don't know why it is. It's just something. There's a because it's unnecessary, probably. <laughs> I think that's got to be what it is, right? It is true. Yeah, it's unnecessary. Yes. So, so when you when you Give it gravitas right. and you treat it like it's this thing that, that really has value. Uh, it gets to a ridiculous level. You always, the best thing about seeing someone on a jet ski is like the, when the waves hit and they yeah. really get slammed into it. Oh, like, yeah. yeah that's, so I imagine there's some stunt work. We did too. some, we did some slamming. Some slamming? As you might say. Okay. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of stunts. Any uh, injuries? No injuries. Good. As the ski master, I would hope it? so. No, no. Okay, good. Yeah, no good. injuries. Good. Um, but we had a blast. It good. Was, it was a good time. Speaking of the blast, there are some hilarious people on this show. We got great cameos yeah. from some people. I called. We didn't have much money, so I called in a lot of favors. <laughs> 
And thank God they all returned my calls. Uh, uh, with um, all these funny people on set, yeah. I imagine the like the bar to make each other laugh is actually quite high, right? It was, but yeah. it was the the. I, I will say we had a great team of writers, and we put together really great scripts. So yeah. it was there already. But then you bring in people on top of that who yeah. can improvise and play and knew their characters, and then it got into a really fun zone of just letting loose and we got great results good speaking of cameos there's a certain nfl star who appears in this uh how on earth did you recruit him uh brian erlacher who just got in the hall of fame this summer um he and i did a uso tour back in 2014 and we bonded and became friends and so when i had to create a nemesis for Mm -hmm. my character yes because i i i'm on the lake and i have robert gill's ski master academy uh, Jet Ski Academy. It's still he funny. has yeah. Brian Erlacher's canoe camp on the other <laughs> side of the lake, which is this wholesome Rockwellian type, right. you know, canoe camp where they play acoustic guitar by a fire. And my cadets are a hot mess, yes. and my counselors are a mess, and we're just awful. So uh, I, could, I tried to think. I wanted the biggest, sweetest guy I could find that I could constantly be yelling at, unjustified, yes. and he was the guy. Uh, you brought up the USO tour. You were in the military, and I want to. What, what do you think the biggest misconception that people have in this country about uh, veterans and people who are serving? Oh, uh, probably that uh, uh, that they're wrapped too tight. They're some of the funniest people I ever met were in the military. Yeah, yeah, um, really funny, great personalities, great sense of humor. Um, you know, the the military is just a microcosm of our society. Mm-hmm. So you get all kinds. You yeah. get the you get the jerks. You get the goofballs. Uh, but you also get some really educated, smart, funny people. And uh, and I had the pleasure of serving with some really great people. Well, you are among them because I remember watching you back in Australia on The Daily Show. Big fan. <laughs> oh, thanks. Big fan. I have to wonder, given the you know what we're in at this current political moment, how do you satirize this world that we're in now politically? And do you, do you look at anyone out there at the moment who's doing it really well? Uh, it's tough. It's tough because it's, it's become this trench warfare where it's everybody's just dug in on their sides yeah. and there's there no one's trying to work it out you know mm-hmm. like to me uh you can i know the difference between a debate and an argument yeah you know debate is when you just talk logically and you talk about the facts and if you're talking about public policy you talk about policy an argument is when you make it personal and you drag the ego into it mm. and unfortunately that's what's going on and so no one's listening to each other anymore so I don't know what they I don't know if yeah. you can do that stuff anymore like if you decide to do political comedy you can count on about 50% of your audience checking out mm-hmm. so I try to keep it non-political and just make it about the funny do you, so much of what you guys did on The Daily Show was a kind of uh, exposing or highlighting political ignorance, right, on both sides. Sure. There were people who were really dug into their camps. Yeah. And I look at the moment that we're in and think, well, the ignorance is kind of winning out in many ways on both sides. Well, like- yeah, I think, well, if you, yeah, both sides. I think what's happening is uh, the, the and I'm, look, I'm no political scientist, but, but I, I do just, I'm like everybody else. I'm a yeah. citizen and I observe. And what I see is... Uh, the extremes from both sides, whether mm-hmm. it's the left or the right, yeah. uh, they're getting the airplay. Yeah. There's a way more reasonable people out there. Amen. There's way more reasonable people than there are loudmouths. Yeah. But the loudmouths get the airtime.
Yeah, amen. I want to just briefly talk about your upcoming film, Night School, because uh, Tiffany Haddish, Kevin Hart, yes. and this is a big cast as yes. well. Look, Tiffany Haddish is universally beloved at this point, but yeah. I want to know. Give me the dirt. Come on. She There's can't no be that nice. She she's can't be that electric. nice. She's electric. She's awesome. She's as advertised. Really? Yeah, she okay. is. She's super Good. nice. She, I love her for so many reasons, but one of the reasons, and, I, and I, if, if I see this in anybody, I love them. Uh, she's got a killer work ethic. Mm -hmm. Like, she has been grinding for years. Like, yeah. people think this stuff just happens, but you don't realize that she's been in comedy clubs. You know, she, she's been, she's struggled, you know, for so long, and, and to finally see her get that traction is awesome. You yeah. Know? I mean, she, she was a party producer. Like, she would go to bar mitzvahs and get people dancing, and like, like all of us, you know, when you're starting out, you take whatever gig you can, because you gotta pay the bills, you gotta yeah. eat. And she's got that work ethic, and it's finally paying off for her, and people are seeing her talent, and I just think the world of her. Amen, us too, and I love it when good things happen to good yeah, people exactly. as well. Rob, thank you so much yeah, for joining no, us my today. Uh, Rob Riggle, Ski Master Academy, not Jet Ski, Ski Master Academy, is streaming now on Sony Crackle. More AM to DM is up next. Thank you very much. Thanks, man. Welcome back to AM to DM. It's time for a special segment I like to call to all the thirsts I've thirsted before. Uh, <laughs> Ashley C. Ford asked what we were all thinking. Admit it, is the actor who plays Peter Kavinsky of age. I saw y'all tweeting. I saw the searches. The answer is yes, which is why Nicole Perkins, co-host of BuzzFeed's Thirst Aid Kid and author of Lilith But Dark, a wonderful poetry collection, is here to discuss our man crush Monday. Let us reveal... Let us reveal. Ooh, oh, the whistle is so yes. loose. Oh, oh, not that gif. Yeah. Don't do it to us. Okay, yeah. we're talking about That's Noah Centineo. Nice That's a nice one. Centineo. Oh my. Oh my. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> to begin. Yes. How old is he? He is 22. Legal in all ways. Able to drink. <laughs> it's 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 fine. It's is it? Maybe. Okay. Okay. <laughs> It's, you know, we can work with it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, to start, here's a, here, let's go to the tweet. Uh, <laughs> Kavinsky, you tweeted, Noah improvised the most adorable scenes and that cute lock screen photo was just Lana and Noah. Everyone say thank you, Lana Condor and Noah Centineo. Okay, do you, let's, let's unpack this. Yes. Okay. Is it, because I got to tell you, I was on the road, I was doing the, make, uh, making the most of road trip mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when this all debuted, and, and so I was just, my timeline was all Peter Kavinsky. I've yes. never seen anything like it. Yeah. So, are people in love with thirsting over Noah, the actor, or is it Peter, the character? As a genius once said, why not both? <laughs> I think it's more Peter. Okay. But like Noah isn't bad himself. Like mm -hmm. if you look at his um, Instagram and his mm -hmm. Twitter, he's kind of like this baby woke, spicy white, J I mean, you know, like Jaden Smith kind of thing happening. Like this, this like art weirdo, baby woke thing. Okay. You know? So he's he's doing a little something. But it's really about Peter Kavinsky. Yeah. Um, let's. I, I, yeah, whew. I mean, listen, 22, it's just like, uh. um, but then I watched the movie for the first time because mm -hmm. I watched it twice last night, mm -hmm. as y'all know, and I was immediately drawn in by his character. Yes. It's so hard, I think, to play the hot, popular guy in high school character in an interesting way. Yes. What is it about Peter Kavinsky that He's, just has us, girl? He has this hybrid to him, right? Mm -hmm. Like, he's the cool jock, he is sweet and sensitive, and he's also just like, approachable you know he doesn't look you know to uh 
you know, too much like a football mm -hmm. kind of guy. He doesn't. He's lacrosse. Yeah, you a know, man like with nuance. Yeah, he just seems really <laughs> sweet, and then he's thoughtful. Yeah. Right, you know, like he goes against the yogurt for Laura Jean. The yogurt. Uh, <laughs> moving the popcorn to the side so that the pillow fight doesn't so get too messy. So it didn't go everywhere. And that we was stand a Noah. A king. Yeah, that was a Noah improvi improvisation. Uh -huh. So it's like, okay, you see Peter, but you see a little bit of the Noah in him too. Okay, one more important detail. Mm. The hot tub splash. Yes. Oh my God. What is it? About? I can't even figure out. Just let men be vulnerable and sweet and bashful sometimes. Okay. Like it's not always about the macho and the bravado. You know, sometimes you just let yourself. The looking let it, away. Yeah. Let let your guard down and be sweet. I mean, I will say this for Peter Kavinsky. If we're talking about like models for young men. It's mm -hmm. like young guys like watching. If you want to think about how to begin to interact with young women, boundaries and all of that, and still be attractive and interesting and all that. Not a bad model, I'll say yes, that for Yes, because even after the hot tub scene, like mm -hmm. on the bus, he's like, can I put my head on your shoulder? Sorry, look at me, I'm <laughs> ready to almost knock my phone off. But you're right, yeah, can yeah. I lay my head on? Like he still checked in to make sure mm -hmm. that the physical boundaries were, you know, what were they and can he, you know, touch her? And yeah. that's so important. Yeah, yeah. There, there are a lot of reasons to move like this movie, but just for uh, an examination of like boundaries and relationships and everything, it's it's, Got it, okay, here's another tweet. Mm -hmm. um, Eleanor tweeted this comparison, oh right, we need a movie where Mark Ruffalo plays Noah Centineo's dad. And someone else said, oh look at that, they even got that, oh wow. Yeah. Um, and someone even pointed out they kind of speak in a similar yeah. cadence. So let's do this, if you could write the premise mm. of this movie, <laughs> what, what would it look like? Okay. Mark Ruffalo is a divorced dad, right? He's just trying to learn how to date again. Mm -hmm. Noah's oh, off to college and he's coming home for the summer. So Noah has to teach Mark how to like <sighs> deal with the dating apps and all this kind of stuff, how to take the light skin squint selfie, all of that, right? <laughs> 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 but Noah's also having problems because he's, you know, college isn't going well, you know, whatever. So the two have this journey of trying to figure out how Ooh. to overcome the impossible. Oh my God, let's call it spring break. Yeah. And let's let them end up having to go on spring break together because Noah, they can't afford, like he can't go on an expensive trip and so that's okay. why he's back home. Look, yeah. come on. Yes. Get at us, Hollywood. Shirtless for days. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's so good to be back. All right, Nicole, as always, thank you for thank joining you for me. Having this is, listen, insight, darling. You've got it. Um, we want to hear your pitches for a movie with Noah Centineo and Mark Ruffalo. PG 13 children. Uh, tweet us using the hashtag A into D, and we'll be right back. That was, that was, I'd watch it. <laughs> Well, last week, a grand jury report about sexual abuse in the Catholic Church of Pennsylvania made headlines around the world. Now today, BuzzFeed News has published a massive investigation into deaths at Catholic-run orphanages here in the United States. Contributing editor Christine Keneally, the reporter on this harrowing story, joins me now from Australia. Christine, thank you. Thank you, David. Thanks so much for having me. Now, you're there in Australia. Your story focuses mainly on one orphanage in Burlington, Vermont. How on earth did you come across it? Yeah, well, I was looking for stories about orphanages in the United States because for quite some time I'd been speaking to people who had grown up in or who knew about orphanages in Australia, in the UK, in Ireland, and in other countries. And initially it was really hard to find anything about that system in the United States, but I began to talk to attorneys who had dealt with sexual abuse cases, 
psychologists and record keepers. And slowly over time, I began to hear the same name crop up again and again, this awful place in Burlington where terrible things had happened to children. How A big part of your story is trying to nail down some of the details of uh, what these children endured. How, how many children do we know died at St. Joseph's and over what period of time? So what I can tell you about that is that there were there was litigation in the 1990s with St. Joseph's. Many, many people, dozens of people came forward. And amongst the depositions, there were at least a handful of incredibly compelling stories about the deaths of children. In some cases, eyewitness accounts of children who were dead, children who had died, and also allegations of murder. There are some horrific, horrific uh, instances in this story. Children fr thrown from windows, children smothered in their cots. Uh, why was there no investigation at the time? There, that's such a good question. And I think the answer is kind of complicated, but I think one of the main things is that in the 1990s, this is before the spotlight investigation into sexual abuse in the Catholic Church in 2002, People found it really hard to believe that, for example, a priest might abuse a child, let alone the idea that a woman or a nun might abuse a child. Right. Um, in addition to that, no one really knew about the orphanage system at all. It, people think, tend to think I, that orphanages shut down in the 19th century in the United States. That's not the case. There were still orphanages running in the 1970s. And not only do people not know about orphanages, because they don't know about orphanages, they don't know what they were like. Many of them were places of endemic violence and brutality. So when you consider these death stories, as some people did in the 1990s, separate from the context in which they occurred, you know, I think they do seem implausible or fantastic or hard to believe. But when you actually do an investigation and you find out just what went on inside those places, when you look at these stories about death and these allegations of murder in their real context, it becomes very hard to look away and impossible not to seriously consider these stories. You brought up the spotlight investigation there, which famously exposed sexual abuse in uh, the Catholic Church in Boston, and which obviously uh, revolutionised the way that we understand sexual abuse internationally in the Catholic Church. But we haven't really had a national reckoning or an international reckoning even with deaths in the custody of the Catholic Church. Why, why do you think that is? That's right. Well, I think that's partly because of, um, of what I was saying about the fact that we don't even really know about the orphanage system. The, the history of orphanages, particularly in the United States, is, is a really invisible one. So around the world, internationally, there have been many government inquiries and those stories are starting to come out. Um, that reckoning still needs to occur in the United States. And when it does, I think that's when we'll hear more of those stories. Last week, uh, the Pope said the church had, quote, showed no care for the little ones. He said, we abandoned them. This was after that Pennsylvania report. Tell me about how aggressively and extensively the church fought the claims that these children brought in Burlington in the 90s, because that's what struck me, the legal uh, efforts that they went to to try to stop this. Right. Um, the church tried very, very hard to block the claims of the orphans of St. Joseph's. Um, the process was a brutal and dehumanising one for people who had been brutalised and dehumanised for many years of their childhood at the actual orphanage. Their integrity was questioned in this process. Their honesty was questioned. Their, their motives were questioned and even their reality was questioned. And you know, I've spoken to people, I've read the deposition 
depositions from the 90s and I've spoken to people 20 years later who gave those depositions and the humiliation of that litigation, the devastation of it still remains with many of them. Do you think we'd see the same response from the church and from the media and from the justice system if these claims came out today afresh? Yeah, I, I don't. I, I think things would be very different. But let me let me separate out the church. I, I can't speak for the church. And I think we are seeing already right now some of the church responses to other claims that have been made just in the last few weeks. As far as the justice system and the, uh, and the press goes, I think it would be really different. Um, but actually, before I explain that, I want to say what happened in the 1990s was that there was a really powerful response by the local press. So in Burlington, um, a lot of the local press, particularly the Burlington Free Press, you know, reported the heck out of the story as it was happening. And just 150 miles away in Albany in upstate New York, a very similar story was unfolding. Neither of the two towns knew about each other, but the Times Union in Albany was covering that story real as well. As well, This was happening all over the country, but what didn't happen in the 1990s was that the these stories actually left the small towns in which they were reported. So there's never been a national conversation about this and no one's had an opportunity to really connect the dots between these places to observe these incredibly universal patterns that happen inside them. Um, so, and, and then of course, there's just the fact that we understand now what can happen in these places in the 1990s, not just people working in the justice system or in journalism, but people reading journalism found it hard to believe, as they said, that a priest might commit abuse against a child. But now we know that that happened all over the country and we know that in many cases that abuse was accompanied by sophisticated and well-organised cover-up. Christine, I was lucky enough to be able to read this on Saturday, a draft of the story just published today. It is one of the most harrowing and haunting things I think we've ever published as a news organisation. I have to ask you, as a reporter, personally, what was it like devoting years of your life to this story? Uh, it was an extraordinary experience. It really was. Um, I delved deeply into materials from the litigation and not just deposition statements, but personal letters, memoirs that people had written. And it was just incredible to me to discover the extent, the, the depth and the breadth of abuse, uh, to see the corroboration amongst people as well. And then, of course, to, to interview some of those people 20 years later, to see the legacy that that abuse still had in their lives. So many people that I've spoken to still have nightmares frequently because of what happened to them in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s in these places. Um, but, you know, there were lessons in endurance and inspiration as well. Uh, the fact that some of these people who had been disbelieved, who had been unheard, were willing to give me one more try to tell their story in the hope that it actually might make a difference. And, and I think... I think it's going to. I think it's really going to happen now. I hope so too. Thank you for joining us, Christine. Thanks for staying up late in Australia. And thank you so much for uh, the work that you've done on this story. It's so important. Thanks so much, David. I appreciate it. Well, stay tuned uh, because we have more AM to DM up next. Welcome back. Okay, we discussed Senator John McCain, of course, earlier this morning. Here's a reaction from KM. I don't agree with everything John McCain did, but he was a great man and held his office with great decorum and grace. He was about duty, honor, and country. He was logical, intelligent, and fair. I already miss that in our current political environment. I will miss him. 
I think that's very well said. That's well said. I, will yeah. I mean, I, and again, I you know, I, I think he led a very interesting, complicated life. Um, he also, you know, voted against Martin Luther King Jr. Day and insisted on using the term gooks. Um, he was a complicated person, but I think it serves his legacy well and it serves American history well, which I believe John McCain really valued, mm -hmm. uh, for us to have this, to embrace the complication. He loved debate. You don't go around living with a reputation <laughs> as a maverick and then, you know, suddenly run yeah. away from, you know, the yeah. complication of nuance, so I don't think it's a disservice to dig in. Nuance is something that's missing a lot lately, and I like that we can be nuanced. Anyway, Meg Betts also shared some thoughts on McCain. So can I ask how people are feeling about McCain requesting a eulogy from President Obama? Because it feels like strong-arming a frame on your legacy, and I want to have a more nuanced, kinder read. I thought, it, I, I mean, I like, I, he, as we said at the top of the show, he invited, uh, I think it's uh, Bush as well, Bush as well uh, George W. Bush mm -hmm. and Obama, both men who defeated him for office. I think there's something quite magnanimous about that, especially where considering uh, the current president has raised the flags on the White House this morning as well, which seems like the most insane level of petty that you can imagine. I mean, yeah, I mean, the, I mean, we have a president who has, uh, in many instances, used the U.S. flag and veterans as a cudgel, uh, you know, for rhetoric is now using the U.S. flag and veterans as a cudgel against mm -hmm. a veteran. So yeah. I, yeah, I don't know what to say. Uh, Sabrina, uh, let's change gears, shall yes, we? Shall uh, we? Sabrina says this about my man crush Monday, Noah Centineo. Uh, can we start a hashtag or a petition so he comes to the show? Ooh. Dying to see your face while he speaks and moves and breathes and exists in general. I, listen, uh, <laughs> don't. I'm hosting that day. Whatever. Yeah, Lana Condor, or she was incredible. Yeah. Um, also, shout out to her performance. I, I gotta say this, uh, Noah Centineo seems incredible, but I think. So much of Peter is wrapped up in the writing. Yeah. Shout out to Jenny Han. Yeah. Uh, shout out to you know the entire creative team of, of the movie, but also in his chemistry with the cast members, mm -hmm. and, and it, it's just it's it's just all it's swirling. a delight, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. But yeah, sure, come on. It's it's going to be a week, so make sure you find. Have time you seen to watch it? This. Yeah, I watched it on the weekend. Okay. Yeah. Uh, have you stand? Uh, yeah, yes. And if you come in on the show, I'm hosting. Like, oh, no. oh, nice literally, time. you're going to be tied up with Isaac. Like, okay. that's what's going to happen. Wow! Wow! <laughs> Well, you just said it on TV, Sorry. so it's fine. <laughs> uh, thank you to all of our guests this morning. Rob Riggle, who was a delight. He Jonathan was. Katz, Tom Namico, Madison Hart, Tarini Party, Nicole Perkins, Christine Keneally. You've got to read her investigative report. My goodness. And David, thank you for co-hosting this morning. You're very welcome. I'll be back at some point. <laughs> all right, I'll be hosting tomorrow with Stephanie. This was a decision made during today's show. I think I've had enough. <laughs>